0: Attention, armchair quarterbacks and shower thought GMs. It's time for this week's episode of Sports Ball with Mike Maharing and Alan Mosley.
1: <laughs> we should get to this pretty quick. Really, really long hauls running on better.
0: Right. <laughs> Got it. It's questionable how long this is gonna last is my point. Alright, well, <laughs> it, could, just... it could just stop in the middle
1: story of sports ball's life right, really, right? <laughs> Welcome back to Sports Ball for episode 29. I am your host Alan Mosley, joined as always by my co-host who's sitting by the dock of the bay this week, Mike Meharry. Mike, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing fantastic. You know, normally we've we've kind of started a tr- tr- tradition here with Sports Ball that we complain about the weather. I can't complain about the weather. It's sunny and it's about 80 degrees. So, there you go.
1: Well, we're just adding a flood on top of our flood here in Tennessee. Right. So it's, it's flood floodception. Yeah.
0: Uh, beautiful.
1: Well, d- despite you having such a wonderful weekend, what can you tell us about last week without really looking?
0: Well, it's interesting. I'm going to touch on a little college football because the thing that I remember is some stuff that I heard being down here in the Sunshine State. Apparently the Florida State football program is still a dumpster fire. <laughs> you don't say. Yes. Now, you, you you may or may not know that the, uh, the Florida State Seminoles failed to recruit a quarterback uh, in this last recruiting session, and they also failed to recruit a uh, quarterback in the one before that. Uh, but never you fear, Coach Willie Taggart said that they have a plan. And apparently that plan was to uh, sign Alex Hornybrook from the great Wisconsin Badgers. Now, if you've watched very much Big Ten football, you'll know that Alex Hornybrook's not very good. So, If your plan is to not recruit a quarterback for two straight years and then sign Alex Hornibrook—oh, and by the way, release your starting quarterback because of uh, discipline issues, I'm saying your plan might not be all that good.
1: Speaking for as a fan of every college in America other than Florida State, it really couldn't happen to a nicer group of folks.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not a huge Florida State fan. I just thought it was kind of interesting because uh I have for for whatever reason I've been kind of Hornybrook was on my radar the last couple of years and it seems like Wisconsin can do everything right but throw the football. It's like he's not very mobile. He doesn't throw the ball all that well when he's stationary and uh this is the great plan of Coach Willie Tiger, and I, and I guess yeah, I, I I remember this more out of amusement as a Gator fan watching the uh, the meltdown that is happening over at Florida State. So, yeah, I'll, I'll give you some stats if you want. Uh, he actually has a pretty good record as a Badger, 26 and six, and uh, his pass completion is 59.5 for. 1,532 yards. That's that's over three seasons, I believe. So not all that impressive. 13 touchdowns, 11 picks. So good luck, Florida you know, State it, <laughs> Right. You know
1: what's interesting about that is is that transfers, uh, when it's like a juco heading to a major college or a kid coming out of high school that didn't have good grades and then they went to a community college or something for a year or two, and so they're entering – the D1 as a junior or something like that, the, those tend to make sense. Like, like you don't question a transfer like that at right, all. Right, right. But I'm always a little bit weary of these transfers from one major D1 program to another major D1 program because it makes you think—so the—I tra- mean, because there's only a handful of reasons why that can happen. One can be maybe there's a huge turnover in coaching and you don't want to play for the new regime, and right. I respect that.
0: Yeah, that's, that's legit. Uh,
1: Yeah, that's legit. And sometimes things are just really not a good fit or a kid ends up moving closer to home, and I can get that too. Um, But when it's like moving across the country to one program to across the country to another program because maybe there was some locker room issues or maybe that player wasn't good enough to get on the field, that kind of leaves you scratching your chin like, well, why would he be any good at the new school? Right.
0: Yeah, I, I don't have a great deal of faith that Alex is gonna suddenly watch, now that I say this, they'll they'll win the national championship next year.
1: Yeah, they're gonna they're <laughs> gonna blow out Clemson during the season. Right. And yeah. So I'll tell you, I don't really so much has a have a recap as I just want to give a programming note. Uh we're not gonna cover a lot of college basketball this week. And the reason being is is we are we are on the precipice of tournament season. We are indeed. It's and so we're going to give it a week or so for all those, you know, 80 different conference tournaments to play right. out. Because as as we move into Selection Sunday and, and the actual NCAA tournament starts to take shape, I'm sure we're going to have a whole episode dedicated just to that. And the haves and the have-nots and the seeds and who was left out and who got in and all that. But we're going we're gonna to take a week off from that because, frankly, any – any little expose we did on that today could be absolutely hundred percent different in just a few days from now. So Very true. We're, we're give it a week.
0: A- apology moving on. apology to UK fan who thinks that there is no other sports news other than basketball. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, by apologies we don't mean we really don't care. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. So moving on to some of the bigger news of the week. Antonio Brown has finally left the Pittsburgh Steelers. Where is he heading, Mike
0: Meharry? He is heading to Oakland? play Chucky ball. Oakland Raiders. Yeah.
1: He's heading to go play for Chucky ball. So, so who wins? Now the Raiders are getting Antonio Brown. The Steelers are getting only a third and fifth round pick, which seems rough for arguably the number one wide receiver in the NFL. Right. The Steelers could have kept him for $22.2 million, but instead they're actually going to eat $21.1 million on their 2019 cap budget to watch Antonio Brown play for someone else. It's hard to say that the Steelers look anything other than bad in, in this exchange, but hold on a second. On paper, it would seem that the Raiders win – the Steelers lose. But considering the Steelers aren't exactly a contender, it's hard to say Antonio Brown wins in the sense of competition. But he absolutely wins in the sense of leverage money, and you know personal bank account. But let's look at, let's look, let's uh, put our little prognosticator hats on and think of the future. Do the Raiders really win in this exchange? I think it's hard to tell. Because Chucky has come in, blown that team up. It they've given him the kind of contract and the kind of years that it would seem to suggest they're going to give him time to really mold that franchise in his image. <laughs> and if and if Antonio Brown fits in that image, then it's a win, right? I mean, I mean, how could it not be? He's right. talent-wise, no one can dispute that Antonio Brown's not an amazing athlete, for sure. Oh yeah. But considering how far away from relevant the Raiders seemed last year, and considering Antonio Brown is thirty, which means he's he's still in his prime, but wide receivers tend to kind of tail off around mm-hmm. thirty-two or thirty-three. Mm-hmm. Do you really see the Raiders being a world beater in just two or three years from now? You're asking me. Yeah, I'm asking. Yeah, this is a, so. This is a show where we have a host and a co-host. And I'm asking. <laughs>
0: you. Uh, I'm going to say no to that answer to that question. I, I, so you don't yeah, have faith no. in
1: Chucky Ball uh, building a world beater in another couple of seasons?
0: No, my I, I think Chucky Ball is really good at taking teams to Super Bowls that are ready to go to Super Bowls and then uh, destroying the locker room and leaving the franchise <laughs> in a wreck. So, uh, yeah, I'm oh, oh, not, oh. not real confident in Chucky building a, uh, a grand program there in the uh, Oakland slash Las Vegas markets.
1: So we're going to put a bold question mark next to Raiders on that one. For the Steelers, again, whether it's whether it's on paper, real life, present or future, this just seems like a loss for the Steelers all the way around. And it seems to indicate that. Of course, you still have the Le'Veon Bell situation yet to resolve, but it certainly seems like he will be playing somewhere else other than Pittsburgh you know, next year. Right? It's it seems like there's something rotten in the state of Pittsburgh beyond just one or two divas, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, when you start seeing one or two divas, then that indicates that there may be a problem elsewhere. Nobody's going to argue that Antonio Brown is is most likely a difficult. Personality in the locker room, but I mean, we've seen people with difficult personalities uh, manage to play in in various cities. So it, it does kind of make you wonder, uh, you know, wh- where, where's the common denominator here?
1: Yeah, exactly. So again, and and specifically too, looking at the Steelers, uh, Le'Veon Bell is arguably the best running back in the NFL, at least top three. Antonio Brown, arguably best wide receiver in the NFL, at least top three. It's very rare to have more than one all-time offensive weapon on your roster at any given time. The Steelers were blessed to find them and have relatively decent contract situations until they weren't. And it seems like they didn't really do a lot to make that pay off. Now, I I don't know if I necessarily means, well, you have to fire – Mike Tomlin and the GM and move on. I'm not necessarily saying that. I'm just saying that it if Antonio Brown goes on to have Pro Bowl seasons the rest of the way and Le'Veon Bell goes on to have Pro Bowl seasons the rest of the way, then Pittsburgh Faithful Faithful, we're gonna be left thinking, wow, those guys used to play for us. And yeah. at the same time. That's it. No no other no other comment.
0: At the same time?
1: No, I I just I just figured you were gonna make some sort of comment there.
0: Oh no, I just heard you say at the same time. I think oh, okay. you know I think we might have dropped the connection for like two seconds, maybe or something. I oh don't really? Well, we are by the pool, so you have to expect some some glitchiness here with Sports Ball, uh, Florida Edition.
1: You mean you mean our network doesn't have like really good. Connection running out to the pool for you to do this dockside.
0: Well, we were going to do that, but the 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 tech guys weren't able to to get that done in time. <laughs> the, the tech guys.
1: <laughs> oh man, this, the tech guys. So well, we'll have to send a uh, we'll have to send a uh, fan survey to Clay to ask him what he thinks about the broadcast. And so I'll, far.
0: I'll, I'll work up a harshly worded memo to the tech guys. <laughs> okay, express our disappointment. Um, so. I think
1: we've put the kibosh on that one. But here's a this next one is something that I, I really want to ask you some questions about well, because I, you
0: back back what? back up the truck just for a second. I, I wanna say that the big winner in this was Antonio Brown because I tell you what oh, it, no doubt. I, I tell you what Antonio Brown Brown managed to do. He had what, three years left on his contract, uh, but not guaranteed money. So he decided that, hey, I don't want to play here anymore. So I'm going to be a malcontent. And by being a malcontent, he managed to go play for a team that he wanted to play for, and he's got pretty much the uh, amount of money that he was going to get over the next three years, not guaranteed. Now in Oakland, it is guaranteed money. So, you know, kudos to him for working the system. But uh, if if I was uh, like Julio Jones, whose contract is coming up here soon, and you know, I don't want to. Don't want to play in Atlanta, you know. We we now know how we can uh, basically create free agency for ourselves when we're not actually a free agent. So,
1: I I like that because I know what you're really saying is is that I'm a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan and I don't want Julio Jones playing in Atlanta anymore.
0: That's <laughs> what you're. That's what you're really saying. <laughs> that is, that is not false.
1: <laughs> you know, here's here's one last little interesting bit about AB before we move on. Did you know that he was a sixth round draft pick? I did not know that. He was sixth round, 195th overall, and now he's a guy who has the kind of leverage that he's calling the shots.
0: Yeah, well, good for him.
1: Yeah, that's pretty amazing. So with that said, here's a topic that I think is going to spur some interesting conversation because, of course, I have Mike Meharry here who uh, works a lot in the area of uh, legality and ethics and also economics. The U.S. Women's National Team – has sued US soccer for gender discrimination. Yeah. There's a couple little bits of the story here I want to read. A comparison of the women's national team and men's national team. Pay shows that each team played 20 friendlies in a year and if each team won all 20 friendlies, the female players would hypothetically earn a maximum of 99,000 or 4950 per game. While the similarly situated men's players would earn an average of two hundred and sixty three thousand three twenty or thirteen one sixty six per game, so almost three times as much in per game salary than the women make against the various levels of competition they would face. and that's that's quoting the lawsuit. now, i want to I want to make a couple of points, and I'm going to turn this over to you. The first one being, uh, it's, it's all well and good for them to sue if they feel like they've been wronged and they're taking it to court. Um, I do want to point out that the Players Association is actually not officially party to the lawsuit because they've chosen to try to work out their differences in collective bargaining, whereas a suit featuring I think it's 19 or 20 different players collectively are the ones actually filing the suit. Um, And a second point is a lot of people in our community, in the in the in the Liberty and camp community would say that, well, it's it's this, you know, let's look at the free market. And if the free market dictates that the men's team is worth more money and uh, generates more income because there's more people at the games and buying more jerseys and yada, 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 then that's why they make more money. And I'm not indifferent to that. That is totally a correct free market response. However. Guess what? In 2016, five members of the U.S. women's team filed a complaint similarly to this lawsuit with the U.S. Soccer Federation uh, with, with then the, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. That filing noted that the, despite the, te- the women's team generating $20 million more in revenue than the U.S. men's team, the women are paid about a quarter what the men earn. So it kind of looks like they might have a case, Mike Meharry.
0: Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. And obviously, I'm in Florida enjoying the beach, so I didn't dig real deeply into the economics of all of this. But I'm just immediately skeptical of these kind of things because generally when you see disparities in pay, there are reasons that there are disparities in pay. And, you know, you look at the overall – I mean we've had this debate for a number of years about – You you hear that women are paid, uh, on average, you know some some number that they pull out of the air less than men for doing the same job. And then when you start breaking down those numbers, you discover that there are actual reasons that really start to narrow that gap. For instance, uh, full time is defined. as i think over 36 hours and when you look at it so they'll talk about comparing full-time employed women and full-time employed men but then you look at it and it you discover that women work closer to that 36 hour mark and men work closer to 41 to 42 hours a week so you know you already start to see the reasons economically that there are these discrepancies so i don't know what they are in this particular uh, particular case but you know, the first thing that came to my mind is part of the reason that the the men probably haven't earned as much um, revenue or generated as much revenues because they pretty much sucked and they didn't go to the yes. World Cup last year. So, and and the women on the other hand earned won the World Cup. But I also noted this uh, when I was reading down through the ESPN story, and I think this is a kind of important segment of this. And again, you know, I I, I can't claim to know all of the intricacies of of the uh, agreements that are. Uh, made with these various federations, but the ESPN story says, the women's team set up its compensation structure, which included a guaranteed salary rather than a pay-for-play model like the men in the last labor contract. So there already, there's a significant difference in the way that the women's team and the men's team are paid, and the women chose to get guaranteed money, which apparently the men do not get. So when you start saying, you know, if this happens and if that happens, well, all of that's contingent. If it doesn't happen for the women, the women are guaranteed a certain amount of play because, a certain amount of pay because they've set up their payment structure with guaranteed money, whereas apparently this isn't the case for the men. So, again, you know, is there unfairness? I don't know if there's unfairness or not. I mean, we, we could never determine that. But I think the, the takeaway is that anytime you start looking at these things, it's almost impossible to compare apples to apples. But I know for a fact that when you do, like, when you, if you take a, a female engineer who has worked the same number of years, who works the same number of hours, that does the same job, they get paid generally the same as men, oftentimes more. So, um, you know, there there are ways you can, and I'm sure that as this lawsuit goes on, the uh, the lawyers and accountants will bring all of these uh, these. Realities up oh, the garbage truck just drove by anyway, <laughs> but um yeah, well, so here- I think it's important to 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 try to compare apples to apples, which oftentimes is not possible, but just to automatically say, well, it's discriminatory well you know, maybe not
1: well, I guess one thing that I would say is is that a lot of times when it comes down to um, Issues such as this, especially where you're trying to apply some free market principles, sometimes it's a matter of uh, presuming what would happen if people called each other's bluffs, if that makes sense. Right. So what would happen if all the women said, "Okay, screw you, we're not playing anymore bye," versus men and, and vice versa. So I think the two issues biggest at play for me when I examine this is, number one, it stands to reason that the. That the soccer federation would pay men more money because there's more lucrative offers for men globally in the soccer community. Right, Well, Dan, more. That's per- a very good point. You can't yes.
0: you can't limit the market to uh, th- this particular this particular federation. You have to look at the market of every opportunity for men to play soccer versus yes. every opportunity for women. That's a very good point.
1: Yes. So and so, thank you. I, I try to make good points sometimes. Yeah.
0: Well, you are the, I, you are the the primary host of this show. I'm just I'm just riding on your coattails. So.
1: Oh no 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 no. We're not we're not playing that game, Mike. Harry. <laughs> However, I will say the and you kind of touched on it in the beginning of your of your point. There is that to me where the women definitely have a point is. Uh, the men's national team sucks and because it sucks. It doesn't generate a lot of revenue. Imagine that a team that's not very good, doesn't have a lot of fans and make a lot of money. Uh, Perish the thought. Right. But guess what? The women's national soccer team hasn't just been better than the men's comparatively, but I mean, they've, they've been uh, near, near, or at the top of women's national teams in the world for a number of years. I mean, the women have won gold, have won Olympic gold. Um, they've they've won world championships. Right. <laughs> the men, good God, they most <laughs> certainly have not. Right. They've, they've they're the opposite of that, um, and so once and so the women's team absolutely does generate a significantly higher amount of revenue than the men's team, and so it comes down to calling the bluff of are you paying men more because you're trying to attract high level men male athletes to the national team as opposed for them to go play in the americas or in europe yeah it's, it stands to reason that might be true right however how how much of that 20 million more dollars that the women's team generated than the men would evaporate if all the current female players that have olympic gold medals to their name all said okay if you're not going to pay us we quit right so I tend to think that while I'm not sure gender discrimination is is appropriate for to d- to describe it, I do believe it's well within the ladies' rights to say, "Hey, we're competitive, we're successful, we're generating you revenue, we want a higher cut, or we walk." That's absolutely within their right to do. Oh,
0: absolutely, and they should. I mean, you know, and it's interesting because people that that are. Antagonistic towards those of us who believe in free market, free market economics. They tend to believe that we're against unions or we're against bargaining. We're not against that at all. We're against the idea that uh, you know unions get special legal privileges. Uh, but we absolutely, I'm all for if if these. If these female athletes want to get together and use the clout that they have to to uh, earn earn better income for themselves, by all means, they should go for it. And and you know, the truth of the matter is, they probably deserve it. And I'll be honest with you i'd rather watch uh, I'd rather watch the American women than the American men at this point. <laughs> and, and the lesson yeah. there is don't suck. Yeah, exactly.
1: The lesson <laughs> there is don't suck. Um, I'm, I think I'm going to end that segment by saying. So what we're really saying is, is that the American women are trying to pull an Antonio Brown.
0: Well, that I think that, <laughs> I think that ties right together. There you go. And, and there's our show episode uh, title for this week: Pulling an Antonio Brown. Yeah, sports ball needs to pull an Antonio Brown, but I'm not sure who we go to argue. <laughs> yeah, for I that. don't either. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> so, so with that said. I lied a little bit earlier in the show. I promise this is the only time I'm going to mention men's college basketball. This is it. This is the only time I'm going to mention it in this episode because it's time for the LP Team of the Week. Oh, it is. One of my favorite segments, by the way. Yes. The LP Team of the Week this week is the Northern Iowa Panthers in the MVC tournament final because, you know, the little – a lot of the little conferences played their tournaments before the major conference. So a lot of the minor conferences have already played their tournaments. In the NBC tournament final, Northern Iowa, who's been a recent NCAA tourney mainstay, held Bradley to 15 points. It's not a player, that's the team, by the way. Yeah, right. To 15 <laughs> points in the first half. In Yikes. route to a 30, I know. In route to a 35 to 17 lead over Bradley with 17 minutes left in the contest. This is despite you and I having a mediocre 16 and 18 season compared to Bradley's 20 and 14. Now, I know at this moment you might be thinking, ugh, that means we're going to have a, a team with a losing record in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. But hold on. There's a reason why they're the LP team of the week. <laughs> From the moment they took a 35 to 17 lead, they were outscored 40 to 19. Oh, double yikes. And Bradley punches its ticket to the Big Daddy. Oh, well, there you go. It's It's. It's particularly impressive on both sides to hold a team to 15 points and a half and then to give up 40 points in like 16 and a half.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. In the same game. Yes, in the same game. One right after the other. Only the LP.
1: Yes. (laughs) That's why Northern Iowa Panthers, you are our LP team of the week.
0: Ah, Well, there you go. Well, you know what I've got? What have you got? I've got a puck to the head. Ooh. We haven't had one of those for, for a couple of weeks, but I've got one for you this time. But I want to start off – I want to set this up by asking you a question. How okay. much money is a Cy Young worth? Oh,
1: God, I have no idea.
0: Okay, well, I, I can tell you because, because we know Blake Snell, pitcher for the Tampa Bay Rays, won the American League Cy Young last year. And the Tampa Bay Rays rewarded him with a $15,500 pay increase. Okay. 10,000 of that was from the league-wide minimum salary hike. So apparently a Cy Young is worth $5,500. That seems low. Yeah. So for that I'm going to shoot a puck to the head of the Tampa Bay Rays management. Now, granted, they weren't obligated to pay Blake any more than that that's What he signed up for, that's the contract that he's operating under, and uh, he released a statement that uh, acknowledged that fact. But you could tell he was a little bit disappointed that the Rays didn't throw just a little bit of of green his way for uh, for winning that Cy Young and, and basically leading the team in wins. So, uh, just a little speculation that might come back to haunt the Rays down the road somewhere because uh, he's going to remember that when it comes time to actually renegotiate a contract. Of course, that said, he the he the Rays may well know that he, they're not going to be able to afford to keep him anyway when that time comes. So why bother? Uh, you know, business decision. The Rays are certainly within their right, but I—I I don't know. If I had a Cy Young winner, I owned a baseball team. I'd give him a little bit more than fifty-five hundred dollars. But you know, what do I know? I'm a hockey player.
1: It—it it is true. I, I don't know the finer workings of the uh, the market and salary cap situation for Tampa Bay. However, it. It seems like it's generally a bad management to give star players reasons to not want to give their all for your franchise.
0: I'm I'm inclined to agree but the uh, the Rays are notorious for being tight and that's the that's the uh, impact of having a, being in a small market without a stadium deal.
1: So next next thing you're going to tell me is winning winning a Cy Young gives you the ability to pull an Antonio Brown.
0: Well, I don't know how that would work in baseball, but uh, I'm pretty sure if Blake continues to perform at that level, he'll get his payday. Probably not in Tampa Bay.
1: Exactly. I mean that that's that's really the punchline, though, right? Isn't it? It's not in Tampa Bay. Indeed. So speak, speaking – because things ended so sadly there for Tampa Bay, it's, it is truly time for our most solemn and sad segment yes. of each week's episode. This is a segment, by the way, that appears, I think, in every single episode. We don't skip this one. No, we I don't think we ever have. Because, because there's always someone that qualifies. Right. It is time for In
0: Memoriam. Mike, who are you remembering this week? Well, this week we fondly remember the coaching career of LSU's men's basketball coach, Will Wade. Yikes. Who has been indefinitely suspended by the Tigers. Wade was allegedly recorded by the FBI as he told a recruiting middleman known as Christian Dawkins that made a, quote, hell of an offer to apparently reel in a top recruit. Pro tip, don't talk about that on the phone when the FBI is listening. Uh, Wade reportedly appeared to be speaking about a third party's attempt to delay a commitment because, quote, he didn't get enough of the piece of the pie in that deal. Uh, here's a longer quote from Wade that was uh, released from this phone conversation. He said that this deal was, quote, tilted toward taking care of the mom, taking care of the kid, like it was tilted towards that. Now, I know for a fact he didn't explain everything to the mom. I know now he didn't get enough of the piece of the pie in the deal. So uh, pro tip number two, make sure you've got a good deal worked out when you're trying to bribe a recruit to come with to your school. Make sure the mom's in the loop. So you may recall that Dawkins was one of the key figures at the center of what ESPN called an mm-hmm. FBI probe into the underbelly of recruiting in college basketball. Uh, that investigation led to the arrest of former Adidas employees, James Gatto, there's an airplane flying over, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and Meryl Code, among others. So I'm just going to guess that uh, Wade's probably done. And so we lay him to rest in memoriam.
1: It, I, I think when you are uh, – what what's the word I'm looking for here? When you are indefinitely suspended by your team, university, franchise, etc., cetera, uh, while you're under investigation in connection to the FBI, uh, that should – instead of being indefinitely suspended, we should refer to that as pre-firing paperwork. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's what he's in right now. Right. Right. So, uh, I'll tell you who's in in memoriam this week for me is the Pittsburgh Steelers title window. Oh, I know it's it's hard it's tough to say, but it's true. Uh, and and I'll give you three reasons why. First, the aforementioned Antonio Brown no longer plays for the Pittsburgh Steelers, right. and you know, uh, number one wide receivers in their prime are usually pretty good uh, pieces to have yeah. for your title window, and they no longer have it. I'd like number to have two. Them. Yeah. I'd like to have one. Number two is Le'Veon Bell will almost certainly no longer be with the Steelers in the next few weeks if, or sometime after that. So, you know, having us having a like pro bowl level, number one running back on your roster is usually pretty good for a title window and they're about to lose that. And the last piece is uh, big Ben Roethlisberger's 37 years old. He just yes, turned he 30. He just turned 37 back on March 2nd. Uh, he's contemplated retirement the last couple of off seasons. Uh, it, he's definitely reached a point in his career where it would no longer be a surprise if he announced tomorrow he was retiring. Yeah. And so with that, I think it's pretty safe to say the Pittsburgh Steelers title window is in memorial. <sighs>
0: sad day for the yellow and black. S- sad day for the yellow and black, but really, you know, happy day for the rest of us. <laughs> the ter- I, the terrible got, towel is at half-mast.
1: I know. Oh. <laughs> Oh man. I know I, I I don't put these segments together to, to insinuate that I'm sad. I know they're sad. Right. I'm not sad. Nah, no, not either really. So with that, it's time for our week twenty-nine Pick'em. This is the week twenty-nine Pick'em is an all NHL edition. Yeah, good
0: times. I know. We got we gotta keep Mike Maharry happy or he's gonna pull an Antonio Brown. And just a little little uh, insight into the making of sports ball for our fan clay. Um Generally speaking, Allen comes up with these picks, and, and I just want to give him kudos up front for coming up with three fantastic NHL matchups to pick and discuss. So, Well, thank you. Even though I, he doesn't know what icing is, he can, he can certainly identify key matchups in the NHL schedule.
1: I don't think at least 70% of people know what icing is. Probably much higher. <laughs> That's
0: probably true. Clay does, though. I, I don't think half of people who watch hockey know what icing is. I don't know. It's, judging by the reaction of some of the guys I play with, I'm not sure some players do.
1: That will lead us into upcoming segments, by the way. But we'll get to that later. Indeed. So we're, we're, we're starting and finishing with NHL this week. Game number one, Edmonton Oilers, 30-31-7 at 67 points. At Arizona Coyotes, 34-29-5, 73 points. Mike, who do you have?
0: Good matchup, right on top of each other in the uh, in the standings. Arizona is a little bit of a surprise. Uh, they've they've really come up, come up, come alive the last part of the season, and uh, are, are still in playoff contention. I don't really think many people expected that. Uh, although the one time I did watch them, they thumped Tampa Bay like seven to two. Uh, granted that was at the back end of a West Coast swing. But anyway, I, I I was impressed with what I saw with Arizona. Good young team, obviously hungry. Edmonton, I think, has underperformed a little bit. I think that they should be better than they are. They've got one of the top uh, forwards in the NHL and yet still haven't quite seemed to be able to put it together this year. Um, I'm going to go with the Coyotes at home, 4-2. to two. Uh, I, I just think Arizona is – I think they're just a little bit – Better streak, and uh, I think they're making a legit playoff run.
1: I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to say Arizona 4-2, to two, and I'm basing that at this time of year with teams this close in the standings, it often comes down to who wants it more versus who needs it more. And, and the Edmonton Oilers need it more. 67 points is a bit of a tenuous position to be it at this amazing. particular juncture. Uh, the Arizona's sitting in a little bit better position, but, I mean, they certainly can't afford to go on a losing streak over the next couple of weeks. But I'm going to—I'm just—with with that being as even as it is, Edmonton probably needs it more, but I think Arizona uh, at home is, is going to be able to secure the win. Plus, I believe Arizona is leading the season series, so— I'm just gonna be a homer and and pick favorite and move on with my <laughs> there, life. <laughs> so there you, you go. go.
0: Well, and and let's be honest, it's you know even with these games, when you get down to this time of year, it's still tough to pick hockey because there's so many so many factors you could you could dig into, uh, you know, who they played before, who they play next, uh, you know, you could have goalie rotate. There's all kinds of things. So picking hockey games, if I was a gambler, I would never gamble on hockey. It's just too many factors.
1: Very true. Uh, in fact, I am a gambler, and I don't gamble on hockey. But you're, it's mostly because I don't man. even know what icing is. Well, yeah, that's so, true. <laughs> so I probably shouldn't. Uh, next, you have Eric July's own Dallas Stars at 35, 28, and 5 at 75 points at the Minnesota Wild, which I think was like the the LP uh, team of the show or uh, or the sports ball team of the show there for a few weeks. Yeah. And Minnesota Wild make their triumphant turn return at 33, 28, 8 at 74 points. Who do you have?
0: I'm picking the Wild. Again, I'm going with home ice. And also just, this is just a little bit, you know, how, how you'll watch something and that will kind of color your impression. Uh, I watched the uh, Minnesota Wild shut out the Tampa Bay Lightning on Lightning home ice a couple of uh, days ago, 3-0. Uh, th- that team, can, when they want to play, when they put it together, and when they're getting top-notch goaltending, they're they're a tough team to beat. Um, they just can't. They're not consistent. And, um I don't know. Maybe they can put it together for for the playoffs. They always tend to squeak in. Dallas on the other hand, Dallas is about where I would expect them to be at this point. Um again, this is a that a team where both or a game where both the teams need the two points. Uh so, I'm going with the home ice 3-2.
1: Uh, I'm going to say 3-1 wild, and pretty much it's the exact same thing as the last game. Very evenly matched. Both teams could really use the win, and so all things being equal, I'm just going to take the gambler's route and go. Uh, I know in football it's three points for home field. What What, what is it for hockey? I don't have any idea. I- <laughs> I, I mean, because it's because it's not going to be three goals, obviously, because three points in football is a lot right. less. It, than you know, three it's goals
0: weird. Something that's kind of weird. The, every once in a while, usually about once every year, you'll you'll have a team that's pretty good that's bad on home ice. I remember a few years ago, the Lightning uh, were were better away for most of the year than they were at home. Um, you know. To, I don't know what those dynamics are, but you know, I don't know if it's the pressure of playing in front of the home crowd, or, or, or if it's the lack of pressure being on the road and, and being away from everything. But I, I've seen teams that don't play well at home. Uh, it's more often than I, I think football is pretty consistently teams play better at home, but in, in hockey, it's not necessarily the fact.
1: I think home. I think home ice is usually a pretty good uh, advantage as long as it's not raining.
0: Yeah, that's not good. I'll tell you where i tell you where you want a home ice. You want What's home that? ice in game 7. In game 7 of a of a series, and and statistics show this. And actually the earlier games the teams with home ice almost even, but when you get to that game 7, there's a, a definite statistical advantage of being at home for that last game. So,
1: hmm. there you go. It makes sense. Yeah. So, for our last matchup, Carolina Hurricanes, 37, 24, 7. That's 81 points. At the Columbus Blue Jackets, 38, 27, and 3, 79 points. Who do you have?
0: Yeah, you know, I was kind of riding the Columbus bandwagon a little bit. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm I'm, I'm done with them. They're, they're five and five. Uh, they were the team that really made in the East at least, they really made the big splash during the the uh at the trade deadline. They added some pieces, they kept some pieces that there were some speculations that they would let go of, including their starting goalie, whose contract is up this year. Uh, they went all in for the playoffs, and they're five and five over the last ten games. It's, it just can't seem to pull it together. I don't know if it's if it's just there's the the chemistry's not there, or if it's a coaching issue. Uh, I do know Tortorella. Uh, I, I know him pretty well, and I know that he will wear on a team after a while. He just has that abrasive style. So. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I probably would have picked Columbus, but I'm, I'm off that bandwagon. And I've liked her, Carolina. I Carolina was one of the teams that I thought would be kind of a turnaround team from last year. So I'm going to go with the, uh, the Canes 5-4. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of goals in this game for some reason.
1: You know, you've actually forced me to change my pick. Originally, I was going to go with the Hurricanes, but I realize now that the reason why the Blue Jackets haven't been able to put it together is because they've been affected by a slight Mahari curse. Well, maybe. That's true. And now that you're jumping ship, the Hurricanes are about to drop completely out of playoff contention (laughs) from 81 points, and Blue Jackets storm back. So I'm going to say 4-1 Columbus. That's a solid pick. Right. well, with that note, do you have any final thoughts?
0: I do have a final thought. What's that? I don't like the review of offsides in the NHL. Hmm. And I'll tell you why. It's because I'm a homer. <laughs> uh, offsides is one of those calls, and, and I think we're going to do a segment on missed calls in, in yes. uh, various sports at some point. But, uh Icing is a tough call because, I mean, not not icing, offsides, and basically just for those who don't know hockey at all, uh, there's a blue line, and uh, inside that blue line is considered the offensive zone, and as you're entering into the offensive zone, the rule is the puck has to be the first thing over that blue line. So if any player is completely over that blue line before the puck completely clears the blue line, then... Uh, it's offsides, and the puck comes back outside the zone. Well, it seems like more and more frequently on goals, we're getting coaches that are challenging whether the play was initially brought in offsides. So you could have a situation where uh, the team went into the offensive zone like two minutes ago, and you know they hold it in there and they they get the momentum, and then they score a goal, and then all of a sudden you're reviewing it to see whether the puck was offsides, and it could be you know just just Things that that you could not even see with the human eye that will overturn a goal or a or a well, it would just be a goal. And I don't like that. It annoys me. Uh, I think it ruins the pace of the game. And now I'll admit my homerism in the uh last Tampa Bay Lightning game against Detroit, Steven Stamkos scored a beautiful goal right in the slot, tied him with Vinny LeCavier uh for the team uh all-time goal scoring. And uh, it ended up getting waved off on an um, offsides call that again happened. Uh, you know, a good minute before the goal was scored had really not that much of an impact in the game. And and when you look at the replay of the video, it's like there's just no way that anybody could have humanly seen that. It was a judgment call. Sometimes I think you're better off letting the judgment calls be the judgment calls. Let them play. Let these goals stand. Um, I'm sure that when I'm on the other side of that, I'll be, oh, good, offsides, but uh, just – Overall, I don't like that play. I think it's I think it's slowing down the game, and it's making every every goal. You're wondering, oh, are they going to go back and look at the offsides from five minutes ago? So I don't like it. That's my final thought.
1: I just want to point out because I'm I'm keeping score now. By the way, I hadn't told you this, but I, I'm keeping score now for for everybody keeping score at home. Three of this week's segments somehow got tied into Tampa Bay sports by Mike Meharry. That was puck to the head. Right. The week twenty nine pick 'em, even right. though it did not feature a team from Tampa Bay. And the
0: final <laughs> thought. But I, but I did, <laughs> but I intentionally did not mention Tampa Bay in my opening segment. That is true. And
1: so, somehow
0: it was college football in March eleventh. Somehow. <laughs> and just, it was still Florida. Florida. It's still Florida, which <laughs> is near Tampa Florida. Bay. <laughs> So, Give me a break. I'm in Florida. I've watched zero sports this past week. But I can tell you, for for all of you NASCAR fans out there, which there probably aren't any, but Kyle Busch won the race this last weekend. Kyle Busch is my favorite driver, so that made me happy, although I didn't watch the race. I just read about it. Wow. Yeah, That's the kind of information you can expect to get on sports ball.
1: I I feel like you're ruining the luster of sports ball a little bit. We we gotta we gotta fool people into thinking that we're an authority on all sports news. Okay.
0: Nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> nothing to say.
1: I'll tell you what, my final thought.
0: No matter Hey, I think I chimed in pretty good on the soccer. and That had nothing to do with uh with you did. Tampa you Bay in Florida. with all of
1: your anti-women hate <laughs> in, in soccer. This is
0: true. Oh, yeah, there's no that. No matter. No matter. Well, what's your if, final thought? Uh, well, I mean, let me guess. It's going to be something about Tennessee. <laughs> Come to think of
1: it, no matter if the Tennessee Lady Vols are chosen as one of the final bids to the women's NCAA tournament, as predicted by ESPN, or they missed the tournament for the first time ever, Head coach Holly Warwick should avoid the embarrassment for the program by resigning at season's end, as opposed to waiting for AD Philip Fulmer to hand her a pink slip. That's harsh. It is harsh, but you know when when you take over. And, and granted, by the way, I would not want to
0: follow Pat Summit. No, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> we we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. What an <laughs> no. uh, what an amazing what an amazing coaching career she had.
1: Oh yeah, and, and I definitely wouldn't want to follow it, and, and it's hard to say that there was necessarily anybody else in the wings other than Holly to take that mantle. but it's pretty clear that uh, recruiting overall hasn't been as good, but even in seasons where they were able to get in a few blue-chip five-star recruits, they were never able to, tr- to develop that talent into a real national contender. Um, they've managed to be mostly just a program that stuck around for a few years, more so than really being in title contention. And now, it, and, and I can't stress this enough, the women's NCAA tournament has never not featured the Lady Vols. If the Lady Vols end up not making this year's tournament, I'm sorry, you got to go.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's a, It's a tough standard to live up to, but that's the standard that's there, right? When 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 the women's basketball Hall of Fame
1: is actually built in your town because women's basketball sprang out of it, um, the demand for a high level of play is uh, pretty high. Fair enough. So with that, guys, said thank you so much, guys, for listening to another episode of Sports Ball. We are a proud product of Little L Productions, along with those other fine programming. As Archie with Mike Meharry. The Sherry Voluntary Show, Postcards from Somalia, and The Gold Standard
0: with Alan Mosley. Mike, what's what's coming up? Uh, what's coming up next on Godarchy? We've got a really good show that's coming up on Godarchy. Actually, we're late because I, I should have posted on Friday, but. Um that didn't happen because of reasons, but I'm doing a dual podcast with the folks over at the Libertarian Christian Institute, and uh, we're going to be dissecting a an article that claims to uh, assert claims to assert. It makes sure. It makes the absurd, absurd assertion, assertion that uh, AOC's green New Deal and uh, democratic socialism in general is uh, biblical. And so uh, Doug Stewart over at the Libertarian Christian Institute and I did a podcast together. We absolutely shredded that article in uh, no uncertain terms, so it'll be good. I'm, I'm hoping to get it up probably on Wednesday.
1: Ooh, that sounds pretty spicy. It is.
0: It's juicy we
1: are getting ready to feature and a guest on the gold standard with alan mosley and i don't and i don't want to ruin the surprise because it's it's only it's going to be coming out later this week um but we're going to be having a guest that arguably is one of the greatest benefactors of the libertarian community that that is alive today uh has has worked to uh support some of our greatest scholars has kept some of the greatest works alive and made that uh, available for everyone to read, uh, typically at no expense to themselves whatsoever, other than their time to read it. Um, I don't. I don't want to ruin the surprise because uh, every time I've ever said someone's name, something horrible ends up happening and <laughs> right. it's canceled. Uh, so I won't say who it is, but I'll just tell you his name rhymes with Rue Lockwell. <laughs>
0: Well, and I'll say this. I'm, I'm excited to hear that interview because uh, that's, he's one of those people that I would would definitely love to sit down and talk to. So you get the honor of doing it. I, I get the honor of doing Maybe. it,
1: and I wonder if he thinks a hot dog is a sandwich. This is the burning question. <laughs> this, is, this is really the reason why we don't live in a free society. <laughs> exactly. So, guys, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week.
0: I'm going to the beach. Jerk you've been listening to sports ball with mike meharry and alan mosley you can follow us on facebook and leave comments suggestions just go to at podcast that's at sports podcast on facebook thanks for listening and we'll talk to you again next time